Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 69, How Catherine Coulter Writes. Interviewing Catherine Coulter, author of 86 novels, most of them New York Times bestsellers, feels a little bit like a pinch-me moment. In this episode, Catherine and I discuss how she creates characters, some lessons she's learned after writing so many books, and how she works as a pantser. This is a fun interview, and I know you're going to love it. Thank you again to Catherine for her time, and now, my friends... The interview with Catherine Coulter. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's special guest is Catherine Coulter. Catherine is the author of over 86, yes, you heard that right, 86 novels, almost all of them New York Times bestsellers. The Cove the first book in her best-selling FBI suspense thriller series, spent nine weeks on the New York Times list and has, to date, sold over 4 million copies. Coulter has written 25 more best-selling thrillers in her hugely popular, and and I'm saying this in quotes, unputdownable FBI series and has been hailed as one of the bona fide rock stars of the thriller genre. Boy, that is a title to hold. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. I really like that intro. Yeah. I, <laughs> Unputdownable. Uh, that is cool. Yeah, I saw that. I was reading some reviews of your books and, um, you know, it, it, lots of lots of the reviews said literally this book was unputdownable. And in fact, that's the very first question I want to ask you, which is, you know, like when you think about the keys to writing an unputdownable thriller, like the things that you are like, this is... I have to make sure I do this. What goes into writing an unputdownable thriller? Thriller. Oh goodness, that that's not a short answer there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the the thing is with the the suspense thrillers, you can know who the bad guy is and and go after them and create suspense. Or it can also be a mystery, which I I tend more often to do than not. So you don't know who the bad guy is. And in that case, I, I think in either case, really, it's, it's like you have to picture an onion and you remove one layer at a time. You've got to have layers of, um, so there, there are so many surprises and the, the reader gets, whoa, wait a second, how did that happen? Or, whoa, <laughs> but you want to keep it complex as possible, yet on a straight line, and and the thing about uh, uh, the really the thing about unputdownable is pacing. Mm. Pacing is probably the most important thing in a thriller. Uh, you have to always have the you always have to be thinking how can I get the readers to turn that page faster, 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 and keep going and keep the momentum. So that's always in the back of your head. And uh, usually when I write, you know, I'll write exactly what I want. Uh, And then you start to go over it and edit it and say, now, how can I ratchet this up to the next level? Can I add another layer in here? 
Uh, so it's constant backward buildup, if you understand what I'm talking about there. Yeah, I, I want to go back because you used a word that I think is one of those secret sauces in, you know, specifically thriller, suspense, mystery, um, which is pacing. And um, I think, you know, thriller writers do such a good job of pacing because it just it has to move so quickly. Uh, how do you how do you think about pacing and, and how are you managing pacing? Is it like on a scene by scene level? Is it a beat by beat level? How do you make sure that your pacing is not too fast and not too slow? Usually, to be perfectly honest, I never even think about it. Uh, when I'm editing, uh, I will probably dip into the pacing jar and say, okay, is this, is this on point? Is this scene going to push the plot forward at the speed I want it to be? Or is it, or is it boring? Or is it, 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 does it grab you, but does it push you forward? Mm-hmm. So to be perfectly honest, uh, if pacing does not come naturally to you, you're probably not a thriller writer, okay? Uh, but if you have the, the feeling or the, the internal sense of pacing, then this is probably your natural genre, I would say. Yeah. So are you, how are you measuring it then? Are, are you, like, if it's not a conscious effort, do you feel it as you're writing? Is it a sensation? Is it just something intuitive? Like, how, how are you discerning that the pacing Brian. is right or wrong. Yeah, okay. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me the word. It's intuitive. Yeah. Uh, you, you really don't think about it unless you read over a chapter later and think, well, ha, that's not doing much, is it? Can I make it do better or do I need to boot it out of here? Uh, so it's usually, again, it's the backward looking thing that really makes you aware. That's when you're focusing on different things other than creation. Okay, you're focusing on on pacing, you're Mm -hmm. focusing on layers. And can I add another layer and make this even scarier? Can I make this even more fraught? Uh, But that usually comes later. Hmm. Okay, so this is interesting, because one of the things that we talk a lot about, um, kind of in our curriculum and and in our training is this idea that you have different personas that you use in the writing process and writing a novel. And so um, you have like the architect, the person who's like kind of coming up with the bones of the idea and the plan of it. You have the creator, which is writing that first draft. And then you have an editor, which goes back and says, okay, how do I get the best draft possible, right? Taking that first draft and just tightening it in every single way. Do you feel like your book writing process has, I kind of heard, it sounded like it kind of follows maybe a similar path as that. Well, the the thing is, I never sit down to write a book. I sit down to write one scene. Okay. And that scene is the most important scene in my life at that point. And so I never think of that. Can I write a tighter book? No, no, no. It's always on a scene by scene level. Never a book. No, no, never a book. Hmm. But hmm. It, it obviously, I, and I'm, I'm what you call a pantser. Yeah, I was going to say, would, yeah. Yeah, I'd never heard that word until a couple of years ago, but that's yeah. what I be. And so usually I might have a what if idea. For example, what if we have a guy, he's in the Rockies in Colorado. 
I don't know who he is and I don't know why he's there, but he's in this cabin and he's by himself. And then one day he discovers a little girl who's been physically and sexually abused unconscious in the forest. What happens? Hmm. I take that idea and then I just roll with it. And then the characters will roll out from there and they will do what they want to do. In other words, you really cannot force characters to do something that they won't, they don't want to. It, I, in fact, with the book I'm, I've just started, um, I, I hit I hit the wall because I was trying to force the characters to do something, and that's not what that's not who they were, and they knew who they were, but I yet hadn't learned. And I think I I got it turned around today, just today after a week of thinking, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> you know, what do you want to do? What's wrong with this? And you have fights with them. Uh, but uh, you you cannot bend a character in a direction that's not appropriate. They won't go. Yeah. I wonder so everything really is on a small scale. It's one it's one scene at a time. Yeah, I love that. I I I, I love um I always love breaking down really big enormous projects like writing a book into these really small units of measure, these really small units of work because you it's so much more tangible. You know, what I mean? you can actually wrap your arms around a scene in yes. a way that you can't really wrap your arms around an 80,000 word novel or a hundred thousand or however many word novel. It's like, it's like being like, Oh, I can hold a pebble of sand in my hand and have some sort of realization of it. But boy, when I look at the beach, like I have no concept of what I'm looking at, you know, it's kind of that same feeling in a way. So I really love that idea of breaking down novels to this like small unit, this smallest, like kind of a- approachable body of work. It's really powerful. Well, Brian, it's not that I'm breaking down a book because I have no idea what the book is going to do. Again, to me, it's a day-by-day process to see where the characters are going. And as you, uh, I tell tell people when I teach, I've never met a blank page I could edit. So, (laughs) oh, it's totally true. So even if you write crap, it's okay because then my brain goes to work on it and say, well, wait a second. That's really bad. What about if we do this? this? No, 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 that's no good either. How about we try this? So the very next day when I sit down, I immediately am going back to, to get all the stuff that my brain has come up with the day after I wrote the, you know, whatever it was. Uh, So it's never, and it's, it's just wonderful. The directions that, things can go that you have never foreseen. Um, there are people who are plotsers, and I've never been able to understand that. <laughs> I, you know, I cannot conceive of that because the characters haven't told me what they want to do. They don't even know. I'm convinced mm-hmm. of that. But interestingly enough, and we can talk about this later, the Brittany FBI series that I wrote with J.T. Ellison, we could be or both pantsers, but we could not do that. And I tell you that we sat across from each other and developed 99 chapters. We actually did the plot and, and, and wrote it that way, but I don't ever want to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Not possible. Not possible. So, so as a pantser, what, what was it like to sit down and do all of this plotting ahead of time? Were you like, oh, this is awful. I never want to do this again. Was there something like 
interesting about it? Like what, what was your overall reaction to that? Well, when it's two people like JT and I, she's, yeah. she's a brilliant writer and uh, she has ideas and she'd spark off me, me and I would spark off her, which of course is not possible when you buy yourself writing. Um, so that's the only thing I, I think that made it possible uh, that worked and that that did work for us. And we did six books in that series. Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, so let's let's talk about characters because I am always fascinated to talk to guests of the show who have written series that, you know, there's, for you, there's, you know, I think the 25th book will be released in August. Yes. Um, in your FBI suspense th- thriller series is what I saw. And I'm always really interested in people who can write and, and keep a character fresh and alive and interesting over, you know, dozens literally of books. And so when you think about, you know, the, the kind of the, the way you create a character or the way you write the character in these books for 25 of these books, um, you know, are you thinking ahead of time, like what's an interesting situation? Do you just kind of get the same kind of snapshot of, okay, my character, I'm seeing them in this and I'm going to explore what happens. How is it you continue to write the same character without them feeling stale, but also introducing them to new experiences? Uh, that makes sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. What you're always hoping, Brian, if you write a series, is that you will know yourself when your characters are becoming more caricature. Okay, I have read a series by an author I really, really like, but he did not realize that his characters were degenerating into being caricatures of themselves. Mm. So I'm hopeful that um, if I don't die before this series is finished, <laughs> if, it, if it does start devolving, I will recognize it and have the sense to close it down. Because that's the last thing any writer wants is to not have the characters loved and new and fresh and, oh, what are they up to now? And blah, blah, blah. But there, so. there's, but there's a certain level of like the the characters have to experience. I think in a series. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've never written a series. But you know, the characters they're experiencing something new. They are tackling a new problem, a new situation, and yet to a certain degree, because it's a series, there's only so much change in the character. Like you're not like this person had an existential meltdown and they're completely different than how they started. That might like kind of ruin the longevity of the series like do you do you consider that and think about that as you're writing each book no uh it will it will come to me for example what was i believe it was labyrinth the book before deadlock that uh i said i know what's going to happen sherlock is going to be in a car accident and have temporary amnesia what is that going to do and it was wonderful it worked very very well because you got to see a different kind of interaction between her and Savage, between her and her and their boy, Sean, between her and other characters who knew her well, but she didn't know who the hell they were. So you, you're always, you're always open to putting them in different situations where you will see them pulling out new resources that mm-hmm. maybe they didn't know they had or focusing on things they hadn't focused on before. And again, to be perfectly honest, it, 
once I decided she'd been in this car accident, I just let them go. I just let them go because they're very, I know them very well. How would they react? It's not me putting my big foot on their necks and saying, okay, you have amnesia, bitch. What are you going (laughs) to do? I mean, it's Savage and Sherlock and they're two real people. How are they going to deal with this? And then I let them go. I simply let them go. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like as I, I love these discussions. So thank you so much for like diving into this. One of the fun things about the podcast is I, you know, I've interviewed authors on every spectrum of like the, the plotting versus pantsing. You know what I mean? Like every mm-hmm. single spectrum of writers. Some people have incredibly detailed plots and, and outlines before they start to write a single word. Other writers are are closer in your camp where there's some spark of inspiration that's enough to carry them through the novel. My question to you, and I think one of the things that catches a lot of people who want to be a pantser, they're more comfortable being a pantser, is they're writing, 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 writing. And then all of a sudden, it's like the narrative gets stuck or they write themselves into a corner and they're like, I don't really know how to get myself out of this. There's some plot problem or who knows what. And so do you experience that? Do you feel like you have just enough of an innate sense of story that you don't write yourself into plot corners? Um, and if well, so, I'll how tell do you, you do it? Yeah. Well, this happened to me. This happened to me one time. Uh, I'd written 84 pages of a book and it hit a wall. And uh, I had the, the brain to say, well, okay, this is not working. I threw out the 84 pages and you simply have to trust that there's something fresh gonna come out of the parking lot in your brain and it does. You know, so I simply, if, if there's, a, if, if there's a, a stoppage, I never worry about it. Like I was just telling you, that I, that I knew the characters were not happy with what I was doing. So I just had to rethink uh, what would be appropriate, what they wanted to do, what would be natural for them to do, because I'm already building on their personalities and they have enough of personality to give me all sorts of problems. Hmm. And they do. They're, they're just regular. They're very good at it. They'll say, so, no, I don't want to do that. Stop it. <laughs> so, all right, fine. Back off, back off. So do you so, like go back to like the beat, so you wrote eighty four pages, and without fail, threw it out, tossed yeah, them out, and without fail, every podcast I do, a really loud fire truck goes down the street without fail. Anyways, um, so you threw them all out, and you just start on page one. You're just like same, yes. char- same characters. No, 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 changed at all. Just uh, you're not working. Goodbye. They oh, interesting. They, okay. Yeah, because I and- couldn't figure out where they wanted to go. And it was it, and the thing, the thing, it wasn't writer's block. It was simply a bad plot. Mm-hmm. It was a, a bad what if idea. It wasn't. It just didn't work. So you just toss it and trust yourself that something else is there waiting, and it always is. And that's so important, particularly when you're published multiple times. You you have to trust yourself. Otherwise, you could make yourself crazy. Yeah. You simply trust yourself and and smile and go ahead and don't worry about it. Wow. Okay, this is so great. I I'm I just love this conversation. So um, let's let's change gears a little bit. Um, as a writer, 
do you feel as if you have a fear of failure? No. No. Have you ever felt that? No. Where, where does that come from? Where, where, where does the, the um, absence of fear, like from what does that derive? Boy, that's, that's, I've never, <laughs> I've never even looked at that before. And I answered you entirely from the gut that was just boom. No, I haven't. Uh, I, I just back up a second. My mom uh, was a concert pianist, organist. My grandmother wrote for Saturday Evening Post. My father uh, had a beautiful tenor voice and he was a painter. And all of that stuff, you know, all of those wonderful creative genes, or they, they came together to me and made me a writer. Uh, I, can't I can't paint at all. I sing horribly. I do music. I have my mother's music talent. But uh, I, I was raised that, that you know even if you don't succeed in something it doesn't matter your toes will not rot off and I remember when my husband was in medical school at Columbia and we lived in Manhattan and I was you know working on Wall Street and uh, I went in one night and I said I want to write a book and he said well let's go for it there was never any thought well have you wondered how many people don't get published blah 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 no there was never even any hint of uh, should you think about this? Should you examine this? What could it lead to? Where could, what could happen to you? And no, no, it was always, you want to do it, let's go for it. And that's, that's really been the way I was, uh, I was raised. And that's the way my husband has always been right there. Let's go for it. And so, but I'm not afraid of failure. Uh, I'll never forget with the cove, uh, that was the very first book in the series. And it wasn't a series, of course, that was to be a standalone book. And uh, when I handed it in, they weren't expecting it because I got the idea and I just went ahead and wrote it. And then they wanted to put it in hardcover. And I'll never forget at that point, I would say, no, don't you dare. It's okay to fail in some new venture but not in hardcover. I don't want to fail in hardcover. And so they put it in hardcover later. So they started out in paperback. And I think that was the only time when I knew that I didn't want to take a risk uh, with going in hardcover with a brand new genre. So that's really it. Yeah. So as you think about your writing journey of 86. I'm writing the 86th book. Okay of writing the 86th book, which ah! is just so cool. So, so, so cool. I mean, Not I, like Nora. She's over 400. Uh, well, ah! yeah, I mean, yeah. She's an alien. I, was it Nora? I thought I read once. It was Nora one of the other like insanely prolific writers who, you know, said they, they work like, you know, 22 hours a day or some. some. No, she, she does work 10 hours a day. Uh, yeah. And I don't do that. I work three hours. You know, okay. because I like to smell the roses. Yeah, I'm with I'm I'm with you on that one. So so as you think back on your writing journey, like what has what has been some of the more difficult lessons that you've had to learn? Uh, the more difficult lessons. Well, you you have to, unless you're an idiot, you have to know the business. You have to understand where the houses are coming from. And, you know, I have written throughout the golden age of writing. 
and I've written all through the introduction of ebooks. I've written through the claps of so many publishing houses. I think we're now down to three from the Seven Sisters. Um, so I don't remember the question. What what is <laughs> what is <laughs> what has been some of like the 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 biggest lessons you've had to learn about the writing life? Ah, well, this wasn't really about the writing life. Okay. I've always written what I wanted to write. Let me just put it that way. Uh, I'll never forget when I first went over to um, to Putnam. Putnam had just bought a new American library. It was like Jonah swallowing the whale. And uh, they brought me on board because the New York Times was in the historical romances. And they brought me on board to write them. And I said, fine, I love them. And I wrote nine, three trilogies in three years. And I was burned out to my toes and I've never felt that way in my life. And that's when um, I, I got the idea that my sister gave me about the plot for The Cove. Um, and that was really the first time that I felt, I'm really, my brain's tired. I don't want to write this anymore. In the past and now, uh, after I finish this next book, I'm going to write. <sighs> the way we did it at first with the FBI series, that's all the house wanted me to write. But I love to also write the historical romances because it's such a disparate genre. Right. Very you know, we talk about yeah. pacing in a thriller. Well, it's so different in a historical romance. If I want to take you to a cat race in southern England in 1815, let's go. Let's have fun. And you can't do that. But it, it, it keeps your brain cleaned out if you can go from one genre to one vastly different genre. And I did that for a long time until, uh, you know, until I got older. And then I just wanted to do one book a year. And of course, the, the really popular series are the FBI series. I now write the historical romances as novellas. So I get the little, little taste in there. Mm -hmm. But um, for the most part, I have written what I wanted to write. And, and I thank, thank the good Lord for the ability to be able to do that, not to be forced into a mold right. that uh, so many authors are forced into a mold. And it's so sad. Yeah, I've written what I wanted to write. And, um, and I'll stop writing the FBI again, if they get if the characters say we're done, we're out of here, mama. Yeah, I love that. So um, let's, let's talk about like a typical writing day, because you said you said you are not a 10 hour a day writer. No. No. Um, what what does your I mean, and you can say COVID or pre-COVID because like what's typical in COVID, but what does like a typical writing day look like for you? Well, it has changed in COVID. Uh, I used to start writing at 730 in the morning. Uh, now it's at eight <laughs> because when I get to the computer, I need to go. I need to answer all the emails, write emails, and then I go to Facebook because I'm on Facebook every single day. I post every single day and I answer everybody that Facebook will, there can be 200 people who have commented. Facebook will give me 50, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. So you have to answer all that. You have to write your post, blah, blah, blah. So I'm normally at my computer writing at eight o'clock and I will write till about uh, 10, 30, 11 at the max. 
If it's a deadline, that's different. I love deadlines. I, I think fear is a great motivator. A deadline <laughs> is a great motivator. I don't care, but I, I'm so reliable that it just doesn't happen usually yeah. in years. Yeah. Um, and so you're writing until 8.30, until 10. Do you until 10.30, say. Yeah, right. Yeah. I kind of I jumbled up some words there. Um, do you have any rituals or, or do you practice any way that kind of helps you sink down into the writing for the day? Or do you just sit down and just boom, the words start coming out? The very first thing I do is I, uh, obviously I, your, your writer brain goes to work on what you wrote the day before, sometimes mm -hmm. on what you wrote the day before that. I mean, I've been known to go back three chapters and redo them and redo them and redo them. When you're a pantser, it's one step forward, two steps back. If you're a mm. plotzer, you never usually go back until yeah. at the end when you're going to edit. But it, it, this takes more time, but it's, I can't do anything else. Yeah. Um, so, so the very editing. first thing I do is I do the, yeah. I, I will normally go back to the chapter that I wrote the day, the day before, and I thought about it. So I will change it and add it and blah, 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 blah. And then I always write new pages unless it's a huge super edit. Mm. I so, try to write six, seven pages a day. And I'm very happy with that. Okay. Okay. And so, um, so you're like writing and editing at the exact same time. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do, do you find that like as you're doing like the straight creation, like straight composition, you're getting the first draft down that the that editing brain wants to creep in and like no. edit while you're composing? You keep you have like a uh, no, because I, I'm very dialogue heavy. Okay. A lot of writers are not, but I am very I'm probably 90 percent dialogue. Mm hmm. And so once the characters start talking, I can't shut them up. And I type, <laughs> I type 95 words a minute, and sometimes I cannot keep up with them. Oh. And so, yeah, of course, you're not editing. You're trying to keep up with these freaking people. <laughs> and they're talking to each other. They're going back and forth, back and yeah. forth, back and forth. This isn't every day, obviously. Um, but no, no, I usually am. If I write a really crappy sentence, I'll say, well, that's crappy and I'll rewrite it. But other than that, it's a uh, full bore ahead. Yeah. In yeah. That, in that scene. Yeah. Not the book in a scene. Yeah. In the scene. Oh, I love all this. This is all like I, I, I oftentimes I'm like, man, I just have the best job that I get to like just ask. <laughs> These wonderful authors, any question that I think about or want, and I get to learn so much. Like, I feel like every interview that I do, I learn so much. And, and the, the one thing I'm really taking from our discussion that's really having an impact on me is this idea of just getting so small, you know, just on that one scene. Um, and, and I just think there's so much power for, like, every writer can can you know, if you're stuck, it's like, just get a little bit smaller. You know what I mean? Just focus on the scene. Don't spiral out of control with the whole book. And so I, so, um, I just so appreciate it. I really do. So it, you know, the, the time has just flown by, um, for our interview time. And, uh, now is a part of the show where I get to ask you essentially my final five questions. And these questions I ask to every single guest. And the reason okay. I do that, the reason I do that is because firstly, I love the answers and it's my show. So I get to do whatever I want. The second reason is 
I love to highlight the, the diversity and all of the different ways that people write and, and show that there's not one correct way. Oh, of course not. And no, every author answers these differently. And I'm so excited to see how you answer them. Um, and it just shows for writers out there, like it's so much more important for you to learn how you write. Uh, that is the focus so much of that early writing days so that you can learn how to put good words on the page. And then it's kind of downhill from there. So much will fall into place if you can sit down and write good words every single day or kind of whatever your schedule will allow. So that was the preamble. Let me ask you question number one. Here it is. What is the one word that best describes you? The one word that best describes me. Yep. Unputdownable. <laughs> <laughs> the one word that best. Uh, no, love... I'm dis- no, I'm disciplined. Discipline. Yes. I think I that's the most that. important thing yeah. a person can have. If you're not disciplined, hang it up. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And, and it sounds like that discipline is almost innate in some ways. Like, like it seems like you are someone I, I guess I picture to correct me if I'm wrong, but you're someone who seems to me you've been disciplined for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've been writing for a long time, <laughs> but <laughs> so apparently it doesn't matter. So. I mean, if you want to be a, a painter or if you want to, you know, whatever you want to do, if you're not disciplined, you're not going to succeed. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. that's the bottom yep. line. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Yep. Okay. Question number two, if you had to pick a spirit book, so this is a book that if you died and you were able to reincarnate as a book, it's like the book that best describes you and illustrates you, the the book you most relate to, what book would that be? Drunk and White's Elements of Style. Oh, interesting. This is the first time I've heard that. Okay. 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 I got to chop this one up a little bit. What is it about um, elements of style that, that really resonates with you? Uh, they preach the way I preach writing. You write clear, crisp, clean mm-hmm. prose. Um, and and I'm, I, I, this was first written in 1912. Yeah. And it, it has not changed. And, and, and I believe in every word in that book. Yeah. And it's a touchstone. If people ask me, what do you recommend for a writer? It's drunken whites, elements of style. Memorize it, put it under your pillow. Yeah. Yeah. It is a classic and um, a hugely important book uh, for writers to get good, clean words on the page out the gate, right? Like, like it, it will help you just write more clearly. In, even in your initial drafting, not even including editing, but it'll immensely help your editing as well. So awesome. That's a great book pick. Okay. Question number three, is there a specific tool? can be anything at all, pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, anything that you absolutely must have to write? No. Nothing. No, I could write in a closet. It would not matter. <laughs> Okay. I like to have a cup of tea beside me, but no, nothing is critical. Nothing. Nothing is critical. I love it. No, no. Absolutely love it. Okay. Fourth question. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? 
to be perfectly honest, uh, and I have written many, many years now, uh, maybe if I had had that question 10, 20, 30 years ago, it would have been a different answer. But the fact is now, nothing bothers me. Nothing. Mm. For example, the problem with this book, uh, okay, all right, then let's do this. Oh, that didn't work. All right, we'll try this. All right, doesn't, nothing bothers me now, but I think you'd get a different answer at a different point in every writer, published writer's life. Yeah. What do you think, what belief underpins the, the reaction that nothing bothers me? I don't know what you mean, Brian. Like, what is it that you believe about yourself or the writing process or the book that allows you to say, like, nothing bothers me now? Because I know that it will work out. I have absolutely zero doubt. Mm, zero that. doubt. I have also a, a great mm. editor in my husband. I call him the editor from hell. Um <laughs> Because the thing with a, a a complicated suspense thriller that is if it's an onion with a whole bunch of layers, there are so many loose ends. There are so many things that need to be examined and tied off and evaluated. And this is this is his job. And always in the back of my mind, if I think, well, this this could be really good, but I'm not quite sure how that would work. I know that if it doesn't become clear to me, it will become clear to him. So I don't even worry about it. I love that. Love it. This is why I think every writer needs to have one person, not their mother, one person they can trust to tell them the exact truth. Mm. And everybody needs that. Everybody. Yeah. And if yeah. you use your mother, you're an idiot. Yeah. And, and even to a certain degree, like spouse, I mean, you're, that's a really special relationship that you can say that about your spouse. I mean, I think if I gave my wife the biggest pile of garbage writing, she would still be like, this is great. You know, like it would still be, she, she would want to give like a positive reaction and feeling to me. And so I, I mean, it might, I mean, it might be, you know, this, this is why within, within our writing community, we have accountability groups, which is to give really good, clear, candid feedback to writers because it is so important, but also kind of hard to get. Like it, it, it's hard to find somebody who will be honest with you that you also trust has your best interest in mind. Yes. And know? who knows how to deliver feedback. In right. other words, to be as positive as possible on A, B, and C. And then now we need to think about blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's also yeah. very critical. Yeah. But uh, everybody needs somebody like that. Totally. Yeah, I love it. Okay, last question. Here we are. We have, we've come to the last one. Somehow, here we are. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? Sit your butt in front of the computer and do it. Just do it. Do not procrastinate mm. or go ahead and shoot yourself. Just do it right. I love it. What a wonderful way to end the podcast and to end this interview. Catherine, this has been so much fun. I, I have learn so much from you. And I just, I so enjoy your spirit and I, I enjoy your confidence. And it's such a treat to interview somebody who's been writing and publishing for so long. Yeah. And, and I just, I just really appreciate it. I really do. Thank you so much. Well, good luck on your year tour of the U.S. <laughs> Thank you. What a, what a craziness that's going to be. Thank you again, Catherine. 
Bye bye. Thank you again to Catherine for her time. And I want to take a quick second and say thank you so much, so, so, so much for listening. And I hope everyone out there has a wonderful week of writing.